Hi, ladies and gentlemen, this is episode three of the Janet Lewis podcast. My name is Janet Lewis. For those of you who don't know me, I'm an entrepreneur and business owner. I own orangefish.ca, which is an e-commerce business that features products that will help you look or feel good, whether you're working out or just hanging out. Last year, I spoke to a group of entrepreneurs about the importance of identifying their superpower. So what is a superpower? It is a task or activity you do that you may or may not be good at, but it actually gives you energy. You want to be able to identify your superpower so you can tap into them every day. And on the flip side, also make sure you're not stuck doing tasks or activities that totally drain you. I believe that people who have been able to identify their superpower tend to be happier in life. And so I've decided to do a little experiment. I want to talk to people who have truly found their passion and explore their journey. In the podcast, I'll be interviewing people who are super passionate about what they do. These are the people who have found their purpose. So why am I doing this? I want to see if there are any consistencies in discovering one's path. How did these people discover what they should be doing and how have they been able to turn it into a business or a career that makes sense for them? We are going to be talking about their journey, how and why they made the choices they did, what drives them, how to take the leap, making changes, and maybe even how to be happy. Uh, today, we're talking with John Farragher, a teacher, a coach, and active member in his community. John lives in Midland, Ontario, which is nestled on the shores of Georgian Bay and typically referred to as cottage country. Uh, it's approximately 90 minutes north of Toronto. And funny enough, I grew up in this area. Uh, I first met John or Coach Ferg when he became my basketball coach in high school. So have known him for many, many years. And I will not say exactly how many because that will reveal just how old I am. Um, I recently attended a retirement ceremony for him. And as I sat listening to all the wonderful things people had to say, I realized what an impact that one person could truly have if they were engaged and genuinely doing what they love and perhaps what they were meant to do. I think John has a great story and I'm excited to be talking with him today. So John, welcome and thank you for saying yes to the podcast and joining me today. Thanks Janice. Uh, it's an honor to uh, have this opportunity and it's, uh, it's a real thrill for me to you know be involved with you again and from our past experiences through the high school and sports. And so this is neat. I'm yeah. looking forward to it. So, um, one of the things I remember most about coach Ferg, yeah. cause now you're John, yeah. <laughs> but no, let's go I'm to Ferg. coach. No, I prefer Ferg. <laughs> in fact, I want with, as I mentioned, I've got a grandchild on the way in February and it's uh, going to be grand Ferg. <laughs> That's amazing. <Yeah. laughs> so one of the things I remember most about you, uh, which was a long time ago, but I still remember, is how you were always willing uh, to go above and beyond to help anyone on our team. And it was evident that you're not only a coach, but you cared about us individuals. And let's put this in perspective. You were straight out of university mm -hmm. and we were crazy teenage girls. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Where our hormones and different personalities came into play. But regardless of the differences, you were kind of able to bring us together to have one common goal and you brought vision and leadership that allowed us to be successful on and off the court. And to be honest, it seemed to come quite naturally to you, especially given that you were so new and it was kind of your first year and first experience, right? Yeah. Basically my memories of those early days, uh, you're hundred percent right. I came out of, uh, I was a former graduate of Midland secondary school where, 
Uh, I played uh, basketball and all, you know, track and field, volleyball, you name it. And um, I always say I was on an athletic scholarship in high school because I spent six years uh, in the high school. <laughs> That's how much uh, you loved it. <laughs> yeah, we'll probably get to that later, my academic <laughs> prowess. But uh, then I went on to University of Guelph where I, I was fortunate enough to play varsity basketball there. And uh, when I graduated Guelph, I went to Mount Allison University in uh, New Brunswick and uh, I played my final year of eligibility there. So basketball was my sport. Um, when I was lucky enough to get into teaching at Midland Secondary School, um, I immediately wanted to coach. And uh, so I, I sort of had my hand up to uh, coach basketball in any way shape or form um in those days coaches were lined up to yeah. coach the boys program which was seen as you know the more prestigious program and uh, i ended up with uh junior girls basketball team at the time and oh we were a second choice yeah, yeah. Not for me. <laughs> they i was the one they said you're gonna wait in line and uh you're gonna coach the girls program first and i was kind of like well okay whatever. So I didn't know what to expect. Certainly my expectations were much lower than the reality of the team that I inherited. And uh, I knew within 30 seconds of the first practice that uh, I had a special group. I could just tell how, I couldn't believe how talented they were and how fundamentally sound they were. Um, you will remember the, the reason for that was not myself but it was guys in the community like Bob Armstrong mm -hmm. who uh, would go around and uh, help girls in their driveways during the summer months even if he he was a teacher at Region at the time and even if he didn't coach you he, he knew through the league play that people like yourself had talent and drive so he would go and help them out uh, Brian Walser was another uh, figure in the community and Ken Irvin was another coach yeah. in the community who sort of set things in place for me. So suddenly I inherited this team where I was able to incorporate these strategies and and um, drills and so on that I thought there was no way I was going to be doing in, in my first year of coaching and uh, the success was just profound and not only on the court but during practice time in the classroom and in the community with you guys. So it was it was just an awesome first intro into coaching. Well, and it was a time where I think people were participating because they just loved the sport. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It wasn't that any of us ever expected or aspired mm -hmm. to be university players or Olympians. Mm -hmm. Like it was really like we were playing because we we're in this small community. What mm -hmm. else are we going to do? We're going to play sports, right? Yeah. You guys had a, a, as a team, you had a true love and passion for the for just playing and having fun yeah. and each other. And you got along well with each other, even if you weren't uh, super tight-knit friends uh, off the court, um, you found a way to be friends on the court. And uh, it was that's 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 not something that always happens. And oh, especially with women's sports, exactly. for sure. Yeah. And, you know, there was tension, and I know there was disagreements <laughs> here and there, but that's life. That's all part of the lesson that you go through when you do these things. So it was, uh, it was really cool in the beginning. And then to watch your group also uh, in other sports, volleyball and track and uh, even soccer and so on and so forth, was, was really special for me because it was such a talented group. And then as it unfolded, um, we carried through right through to your graduation where we, you know, we went on a, 
a uh, an international trip down to Arizona, and we were lucky to uh, win that tournament. Uh, I shouldn't say lucky; we, we deserved to win that tournament. <laughs> yeah, we worked hard, but and if you remember, you scored the winning basket in the championship <laughs> game. So we'll give you some props on this Yay. interview for that. Perfect. But it was an outstanding uh, finish. Not too many teams can say they won their last high school game. No, I remember that. Yeah. And I remember, you know, we yeah. had just come off of Offsa where mm-hmm. we were super disappointed. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. And uh, to win that international tournament, even to go on the trip was yeah. such an experience. Yeah. But, you know, going on the trip, mm-hmm. you know, you've made so many sacrifices, mm-hmm. not just with our group and our team, but through all the years of yeah. coaching. So when you think of all the hours that you spent in the gym or on the road and, you know, it's been away from your family. Mm-hmm. You know, what is it that would drive you to want to do that, to make that choice? Uh, I'm going to credit my parents here right away. I think it has to do with an upbringing. And I put them at the top. Um, just my dad's been a lifetime member of Rotary. Yeah. And uh, and my mom was all, back in the day, women were not in Rotary, but nowadays they are. And, and my mom was always like the other wives uh, in the background helping with the fundraise, so on and so forth. And their um, their motto is service above self. And I really believe that that's where I got the roots of what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. Um, I think that that service above self has a hidden message that service above self is service for self. Because what happens is you, you if you do things for others, you feel a self-fulfillment for right. yourself. And that's where I got off on the uh, opportunity to coach, but also get involved with my students in the classroom or in the community. And so I would put them at the top of the heap. Now also, as a member of a lot of teams during the day, whether it was minor baseball in Midland, minor hockey, or any sport I played, there was always a coach there for me. So there was always somebody there picking me up at my house, dropping me off at my house, um, looking after us in the, uh, you know, in, during the games, change rooms, weekend tournaments and so on. So those guys set the example for me and I saw what they did and I saw that they genuinely enjoyed it. And I thought right away, that's something I'm going to do. Like that's something I want to do is I want my service above self will first and foremost be athletics of some sort. And then and uh, so, so as my path continued and I was able to go on and play, uh, as I say, at university and so on, then basketball became the line of attack for me. And so do you think, like, do you believe that you were always meant to be a teacher? Um, or do you think being a coach, you, you, met, you thought you should be a coach and teaching was a way to be a coach? I'm not going to say I was meant to be a teacher because... If I was meant to be a teacher, the road to being a teacher wouldn't have been as difficult as, as it was for me. Um, and, and what I mean by that is teaching is a profession where, especially back in the uh, mid-80s, your entry into teacher's college was based on your academic achievement, So, which I didn't have. So uh, my academics in high school were a result of my lack of effort in high school <laughs> and uh and also i'm sure an inherited you know just a, the inability to apply myself like i just wasn't one to really buy into to the classroom unless it was phys ed and uh and then when it came to my maths and sciences i did what i could yeah. i did what i had to do to get by but then how did you get into the university of guelph so what happened was 
I mentioned that I did an extra year. Back in the day, you had to do five years of high school to gra graduate, go on to university. So my fifth year of high school, we were a traditional school, non-semestered. So I was taking six courses in my fifth year and uh, I wasn't successful in three of those courses. Oh, no. <laughs> and uh, so as a result, I came back and did a sixth year. It was not a bad deal for me because I was obviously not mature enough to, you know, apply myself priority wise. Um, sports was a big thing for me. Having a good time was, was, was a big thing for me. But ironically enough, what was kind of comforting for me was one of my coaches that had coached me for quite a while in high school and helped with your team, Chester Graham, he'd also done an extra year of high school. Oh, really? And my principal at the time, Dave Chambers, had also done an extra year in high school. And suddenly these guys were coming out of the woodwork saying, you know, Ferg, it's, it's not the end of the world. It's yeah. one year out of your life. Uh, commit, come on back and, and uh, get yourself ready for university next year. And then I had a few friends in my peer group that were coming back too. So uh, I wasn't super uh, annoyed by having to come back. I didn't even feel like a lot of my peers were moving on to college, university, but uh, I felt, you know what, I'm going to be okay with this. And my, some of my closest friends, they remained in Midland anyways, yeah. as they inherited their family business or they came out of high school and just started working so those guys closest to me uh, there was no pressure in that respect and as a family member um, I was going to be the first family member to go to university yeah you know so there was that sort of not a huge impact um, of uh, loss of expectations there so um, I cleaned up my act a bit got the marks going for Guelph and uh, as, as you know when you came out of high school being recruited by different universities yeah. uh, that kind of helped me a bit with my entry and I got into a bachelor of science program anyways at the University of Guelph because I thought I wanted to be a phys ed teacher however Guelph does not have a phys ed program but I fell in love with the campus and the basketball program so I thought I'm gonna go there I'm gonna take a BSc and I'll see where that takes me. I knew I wanted to teach. I knew from grade nine I wanted to teach just from... How did you know? Like, was um, there a certain moment? No. Or? I think I had an aunt who uh, taught, Lenore Price, who taught right out of high school at Regent as a kindergarten teacher. And I, I, I just remember stories of her and the excitement she always had in her voice when it came to talking about her job and the classroom and stuff. I just think I admired so many of my teachers growing up as mentors that uh, it sort of pushed me on that path. I didn't have an aha moment. It was it was something that I kind of decided in grade nine, that's what I was going to do. That's the wow. path I was going to follow, right? It's hard to pinpoint it. I know you had mentioned before when we've talked on the phone, hey, you know, I'm going to wonder what, what pushed people in this direction and all. And I didn't have that one moment. I think I was a fortunate series of events that sort of uh, brought me to like uh, the position where this is something I want to try and do. So uh, off to Guelph, I went in the BSc and I basically became a Christmas graduate in the <laughs> Bachelor of Science program. I had had knee surgery in August of that year, so I was ineligible to play basketball. I couldn't play because I had major knee surgery done. So going in as, my, as a rookie in the Guelph, looking forward to playing and then doing my education there, I was on crutches first semester. Second semester, I started in the JV program. But 
academically, I didn't do well. So I got debarred from the uh, science program. Oh, However, no. Yeah. However, <laughs> this is why your path was so difficult. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, we're getting there. Yeah. So, so then I, and again, it was more lack of maturity as far as applying myself. I tried to work hard, but I didn't know how to work hard. Like I tried to study hard, but I didn't know how. I didn't know how to grasp concepts. I just couldn't figure it out. I couldn't figure out how to, how to grasp like a chem 100 course or a zoology course I couldn't and you know I wasn't successful in both those and I retook them both and I ended up with 50 in both like I just couldn't get yeah. it so in the sciences D's count and as much as F's and they they sent me a letter said you're ineligible to return so I wrote a letter of compassion because of my knee surgery and the basketball coach wrote a letter for me and I was able to get back in to bachelor of arts program in September of the next year so I didn't miss any time and I started in Bachelor of Arts and uh, for some weird reason I uh, started in uh, history and economics and I thought if I can't get a teaching job um, I'm gonna go into economics get a business degree of some sort so I have that to fall back on because it was difficult back then getting into teaching and then I thought History, I'll do, because I kind of triggered with a prof there, Ted Cowan. He was a Scottish guy, just looked like a Viking, and I had him for... <laughs> That's had, why you liked him. <laughs> well, I, and, uh, he, he frequented the keg in, uh, on campus, too, in Guelph, which was uh, the campus bar at the time. It's called Brass Taps now, but it was called the keg back then. So anyway, super sociable guy, really nice, and seemed to have everything in perspective like yeah. with his students and all. So I locked into this history degree and uh, I thought, you know what, for some reason I couldn't picture myself at that time, something said, you don't want to, there's no knock at any other phys ed teacher, but I couldn't, I, I couldn't visualize myself in a gym right through to when I was mid fifties. I knew I was going to be there for coaching. So I wanted to, all of a sudden my brain was doing a 180 where before I didn't know how to apply myself, now I knew how to apply myself academically because this history stuff just started to take me over. So, and if you had asked my history teacher in high school, you would have done that <laughs> history. So anyway, off I went for the next three years at Guelph and uh, I, I did well academically and I, I came out of there. Um, I had close to honors my last year, but because of my overall low marks in the first year or so, uh, I had like a 59% average coming out of university. Wow. Okay, I, keep, I keep the transcript. I'm yeah. kidding you not. I have mine too. Yeah. It's so funny. So now I had to get into teacher's college. And uh, teacher's college was no small feat back then because the cutoffs were just like 80, 85. Yeah, it was hard. It was tough. So I applied everywhere I could in Ontario and at that time you could have three choices and well, or pay and, for extra. And also back then I don't think there were as many teachers. No there wasn't. Right? No there wasn't. So if memory I, I, I know of a couple I can highlight just talking about journeys here. Um, I applied to uh, Ottawa and I got in because they gave interviews. So I wanted to go somewhere where it wasn't just strictly based on a transcript. I wanted to talk. I wanted to show my face and sure. talk about what my portfolio could be and uh so i rented a car um dirt poor i was in in last year of guelph and i rented a car and i drove to ottawa and i uh slept on a friend's couch i got up in the morning did my interview and i drove the car back and uh 
And I was doing stuff like that. I, I applied to Mac. I, no, it wasn't Mac. Brock. And uh, they took... Um, they took letters of references and stuff. And I can't remember the last one that it was. Doesn't matter. All three of them shot me down, said no. So I was somewhat devastated, but at the same time I was young, you know, so it's kind of okay to get out of Guelph. And uh, I thought I'm gonna, I'm gonna just revisit this and uh, see what happens. And I think my parents were more worried about me than I was at that time. Right. Because I was still a little bit, you know, I was independent. I was kind of free spirit at time. And I just saw it's not, you know, life goes on. I'll so do something else. I'll, I'll do something else. I'll figure this out along the way. So I took a year and I refereed basketball. And, in uh, Midland? In Midland. Yeah. And uh, around Simcoe County. And I played basketball. I curled. I uh, played hockey. And I lived the life. Uh, <laughs> And uh, I worked landscaping. So I was doing a landscaping job right through until the snow hit in December around here. And uh, I started to get serious again about this teacher college thing. So I looked at other options and uh, I, I applied out of province. Oh, you did? So <clears throat> Mount Allison in New Sackville, New Brunswick is just it was the population of the university at the time was about the same as our high school. It was around fifteen hundred, two thousand oh, wow. people. So super tiny. Much. Super tiny in a small quaint town like, you know, Victoria Harbor, Gordon Echo, like it was just small village. Did you say small quaint town? Yeah, small quaint <laughs> town. <laughs> but the cool thing about these guys was um they took my marks, but then they took two letters of reference from somebody who taught me another letter reference from somebody who didn't teach me and I had to write a letter of reflection and I got an interview over the phone so they were looking at the whole student not right. the whole person not just the 85 cutoff mark which was really important to me so I kind of got pumped about that so I focused on them there was Dalhousie as well and uh, UNB and also my basketball coach from Guelph contacted the basketball coach at Mount Allison. Yeah. So that is always like, whether it is a factor or not, because we're not living the life of North Carolina and UCLA and UNLV and that kind of stuff. I understand that in Canada. But I think that any contact you can have that you can bridge along the way from, you know, past experiences is always going to help. It totally However helps. However you can network, Listen, right? even mm -hmm. in the business world, it helps. Well, and it's also about leveraging your network, right? Someone knows someone, so talk to them. And as that someone, whether it's a boss, whether it's a guy who's going to do your roof, yeah. if they get a reference on you that you're a good person, you know, in their eyes, you're a good, solid person from someone they trust and all. It's a bonus for them. Exactly. So that was in my back pocket as well. So I got Ted Cowan again, um, my history prof at Guelph, who I had taken numerous Times to courses the pub. with. Yeah, I met him in the pub. I also did an independent course with him too. Like we were pretty tight. Like he, I, I wanted to do an independent learning course and none of the profs I knew and the courses that I liked. So I walked into his, this is going back a bit, going into my, in my fourth year at Guelph. I said to him, Hey, listen, I see you're not on the list for independent study courses. He says, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I was thinking about doing something on stone circles and 
in Europe and stuff like Stonehenge and that. He says, go ahead. He says, go write a paper on it. Give it to me halfway through the semester. So I did. And then he said, uh, now you're going to write a final. Here's the question that's going to be on the final. It was a pretty general question. And he says, you come in on this day and you'll write that question, your response to that question when my other class is doing their exam. And I'll tell you, I probably learned more in that course than I did in any of my courses because I was driven on it. Yeah. Well, personal interest too, It's personal interest. So it was kind of cool. So this was something else that this guy had done for me. But not only that, when Mount A went to contact him, he was back in Scotland. He had moved back to Scotland. So, but his secretary by fluke got the notice and she was still at Guelph. She got a hold of him. He wrote the letter from Scotland. Oh, wow. So they were pretty pumped about that. They saw that as a bonus. And then, uh, and then when the interview came, the guy who interviewed me, Basil Favreau, from uh, Mount A, I was just thinking about him today because I was thinking I want to write him, let him know I'm retired. Right? <laughs> freak him out. But uh, he, he phoned me up and he talked about everything and anything except academics. And he was, he was big on the fact that I did landscaping. Yeah. You know, what I do and the driveways, the fences, the decks and all this stuff. And... He was big on that. He was big on the sports part. He was big on the fact, you know, uh, where my hometown was and all that. And uh, anyway, uh, I got a letter of acceptance, you know. About two so how did you later. feel freaked, when you got it? Oof, freaked me right out. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was huge because I was like the last, I was going to be the last person to ever get into teacher's college because of my academics and, you know, just what I had going on. So when... When I got that letter, it was an amazing experience. It was like the the world, you know, pressure lifted off me. Because yeah. what I had done in the meantime, too, because it's a process, right? So this was in 19... I graduated from Guelph in 85. So in from 85 to 86, I was in limbo. I'd even applied at Hydro in Toronto. Oh, wow. I went down there for an interview and did an exam and all that. And, uh, you know thank the Lord for unanswered prayers, right? Because I didn't get hired with them. And, uh, and then this came along. Well, did this yeah. thing, did it come along? Because I think yeah. like listening to your story, yeah. you are actually very diligent at giving it another try. And, you know, part of it is sometimes you give it another try because mm -hmm. subconsciously you may mm -hmm. or may not know that that's mm -hmm. really what you should be doing mm -hmm. or what you want to do. Right. Yeah, it's true. Um, yeah, I was persistent and, and determined. And the other thing is, too, I also believe everything happens for a reason, but mm -hmm. we don't always know that reason. Absolutely. Right? So yeah. even you blowing your knee out yeah. before you go to Guelph, that yeah. happened for a reason. That right, right there triggered my um, my mind to set into focusing more on my future. And it was yeah. kind of like a, a wake-up call where, hey, uh, y you're not the basketball player that you think you are yeah. you're not going to be the basketball player that you think you are yeah. down the road you're not going to play basketball so down the road uh you got to develop yourself another outlet and not not only one that is responsible and you know in an adult type of mode but one that you're going to want to do and uh so that's where i started to apply myself a lot better academically and so on and so forth and even going full circle back to the basketball i came out of high school as as a decent high school player uh when i got to guelph as you know you know uh, you, you were a much more talented volleyball player at mac than i was a basketball player at guelph but <laughs> i don't um, know <laughs> no you were but when you get there you suddenly meet this other upper echelon of talent yeah. and you soon realize 
hey, uh, you're not as good as you think you are. There's always going to be somebody better. And, it's true. And uh, so you got to push yourself to try and get the most potential out of yourself. So that's what I would do. And uh, trust me, I was the ultimate bench, bench warmer at Guelph. Like I can tell you stories where um, one year, my second year at Guelph, uh, I did not play in a single league game. I sat wow. on the bench the whole season. Wow. I was even benched for the alumni game where the alumni guys came back and played. And Chester Graham, my old coach, played at Guelph. So he came down with another older guy from Midland. And they're like playing and we're joking around before in the warm-up and all that. And the whole game, I sat on the bench and did not play. Wow. Now, I had a very strict coach at that time, Dave Arsenal. He came out of uh, Boston College in the States. So his mentality was, you know, he, he had he had a code and uh, and everybody had a role and my role was I was a bench player I was a practice player and yeah. that's the way it's going to be and he set that code uh, and he stuck with it and it, there, did he was always I, I look back on it now and he was one of my favorite coaches because he uh, he really was um, pushing me. Yeah. You know, he was saying, listen, this is, I'm going to push you. I'm going to push you and push you and I'm going to knock you down. Right. And especially like was just with the alumni game would have been the ultimate situation <laughs> right? where he's going to look, he's looking at me going, this kid's either going to quit right now or he's going to keep fighting. So, um, that year I, I got through it and then, then, and I actually ended up winning the most, va most improved player on the team. Right. Yeah. Which is kind of like. You know, the consolation prize for some people, but that was like my most No, but it, your teammates player. vote on it, right? Yeah. So I think yeah. that means even so more. So that was huge deal for me. And then the next year and the year after, you know, I started to get more playing time, so on and so forth. And then when I went to Mount A, I was, I was captain on the team out there. So things, because I got pushed and stuff and because I kept persevering, um, I just learned that that determination will pay off, right? So do you think, um, so you described... Uh, how your coach pushed you. Mm -hmm. And do you think that it's after you started coaching that you kind of really fully understood what he was doing? Like in that time mm -hmm. and in that moment, did you get it? Or were you just like, why aren't I playing? My thing that probably maybe not disturbs, not the right word, but frustrated some of my players that I coach was I had gone through this experience. Um, I knew the end result. So, I knew it was worth it to not tr not be detrimental and not demean somebody, but I knew it was important to uh, push people yeah. to realize their potential. And I knew that they weren't going to like it, and uh, but I knew that they were going to be stronger down the road. Right. Because I had gone through it. Um, the unfortunate thing for girls in high school is that they don't understand the end. They don't see the end result. And they take it personal, just like I was, at, even in university. And they take it as a, uh, a knock against their ego, in a sense. And also, there's the parent dynamic, too, right? Where, hey, listen, man, it's just high school basketball. Like, why is my <laughs> daughter not playing like everybody else and stuff? But I knew that the team um, always came first. And I knew that the girl sitting on the bench, the 12th player, who wasn't always playing in the big games, um, their role is every bit as important as the best player Absolutely. on the team. Absolutely. That's right. And like I knew that, but um, it was hard sometimes because the 
the, the player and the parents didn't know that, but I had to just stick to it. And I didn't make, you know, at, at the end, it was funny because, you know, you look back on, on uh, our team, and just as an example, because you're familiar with it, um, two of the most valuable players on that team would have been Laurie Banks and Megan Strawn because they, like, they, they came to every practice, they worked super hard, they didn't complain about you know the playing time not to my face no and, <laughs> you should have heard what the, was said in the yeah, changer <laughs> yeah and the parents were supportive yeah to my face where you know there was always cards at the end of the season there was always they came to the games they came to tournaments when we went to Offsa and stuff like that they they sent flowers like I remember these things yeah. from these role players and I thought that's that's me like as a role player that's the way I, I was like it, did I like it no but I kept I knew there was something there that was going to make me a better player in person and pay off and you couldn't ask for two better people than Lori and no absolutely Megan. but the thing is like their role is also like social and they're connectors mm -hmm. and they're people who like kind of help everyone on the team get along exactly right yeah so regardless of whether you're just like you're looking at skill mm -hmm. or you're also looking at the social component because we can also say um even if we look in a bigger picture of the world mm -hmm. like there's people who are amazing at what they do but socially they can't connect to anyone no right and so that's why some of them do individual sports yeah. instead of a team sport and if you want to carry the whole scenario into like quote unquote like the real world type of thing uh Pretty well, everything's a team. Yeah. yeah. So whether you're talking about uh, the local car wash, grocery store, hair salon, um, you know, on and on it goes, uh, law firm, everything's a team. So you have to, in order for the team to be successful and um, and gain as much ground and, as possible, you need everybody involved to put the team first yeah that's right and if they do and they work hard they and they help in other uh intangible ways support emotionally um and uh also hold people responsible then then the talent will look after itself the talent will always be there certain people have more talent than others in Absolutely. different avenues yeah. so i don't care if that's it's right. euchre basketball or shooting a bow and arrow right <laughs> somebody's better than somebody else so the talent will will carry forward the talent is kind of the easy part it's the emotional drive and the ability to cope with um, adversity that yeah. really will prove the success of the team well, you know, what's interesting is, um, I don't, I don't know if you know this or not, but when I went to Mac, you know, I was going as, um, from a small town, mm -hmm. but also being like MVP in a small mm -hmm. town, mm -hmm. I get to Mac, I don't make the team the first year. Okay. And yeah. so obviously I'm disappointed about yeah. that. Second year, I decide to go back and try out again. Yeah. And I don't make the team again. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, what the fuck is yeah. going on here? Yeah. And because I have to admit, when I was younger, my head was probably a little bit bigger than sure. it should have yeah, been. Yeah, I was there. I was a teenage. Yeah. I was there. I was yeah. a teenage girl, right? And um, no, I mean, I was there for me. <laughs> I was like that. I'm not judging you. <laughs> You're judging me. Yeah. Was, no. And so I remember at Thanksgiving that year, Tim Lukes, who was the coach at the time, it was his first, his second year coaching. So I'd been at his tryouts two years and failed to make the team. 
And he called me and he said, you know, um, you know, how are you doing? And I said, I'm fine. And I'm thinking, what is, why is this guy calling me? (laughs) And so he's like, you know, I've had a couple of spots on the team open up and I'm wondering if you'd be interested. And my immediate and automatic reaction was no, no. Why would Uh I come play for you? You cut me twice. Uh And he said, you know what? I want you to take the weekend to think about it come to my office on Monday. And so what had happened is Tim really chose players based on their physical ability. Mm -hmm. So if they were super tall, he would choose them. It didn't necessarily mean they were great volleyball players. And um, so I went into his office on the Monday and he's like, did you think about it? And I said, yeah, I thought about it. And he said, so what do you think? And I said, I'll come play for you, but I'm not sitting on the bench. Right now. And he was like... (laughs) Uh, he was like, no, actually you're looking at a starting position. Oh, yeah. And so in my mind, it's like, how do I go from getting cut two years in a row to now mm-hmm. looking at a starting position? But part of it was he didn't understand me as a player. He didn't understand that I had the tenacity. If he told me I couldn't do something, mm-hmm. I would work to prove him wrong. Exactly. And as a beginner coach, you kind of don't understand that or you don't see the traits. You mm-hmm. think you can take someone who has the physical abilities and turn them and mold them into what you Mm -hmm. want them to be. Mm -hmm. Right. But if they don't have the emotional side, then they can't get to where you want them to be. Exactly. Right. But you didn't ever seem to have like when you were coaching as, as a new coach, Mm -hmm. you didn't ever seem to have that challenge. Like, yeah, I, if we go right back to your, your, we'll start with your team and I'll go through a couple of phases. Yeah. So your team was like an outstanding team. Like you, I was very fortunate to have your team. And when I say your team, there was obviously um, changes in personnel here and there of girls graduating. Sure. Because I mean, yeah. we started with, uh, you know, Jen Curry and that yeah. crew. And then, uh, and then ended up with like, you know, with, with Aya and those guys that coming through. Um, so there was, all, the core was always there though. So the the coaching part and me being young and just my background in basketball, I just had every ounce of uh, energy to pour into the team. So as you know, and Maureen, my wife, will tell everybody too, like we were away many weekends yeah. starting in the fall. We played, we played a ton of games. Um, we, uh, you know, we had sponsorships from Brooks and nike a couple yeah, of times where they gave, right. like we were outfitted better in some universities yeah, that's true and <laughs> uh, yeah so on and on we went and we not to mention we were beating a lot of teams in the province like we were one of the top teams in the province for a while and um so f- from that aspect for me it was an easy flow because one um we were being successful and two i was young and uh the kids for me, my, my kids uh, weren't there yet. So it was Maureen and I, and we hadn't started a family yet. So, and I just accepted the fact that you're going to coach and you, as, as part of your job as a teacher is to coach. Yeah. But part of my passion was to coach. So it didn't matter. That's if right. I was, if I was working, if I'd got that hydro job, I would have still coached somewhere in the community. So anyway, that goes on. Now, when the dynamic changes... We continued because, and again, this will have something to do with your entrepreneur theme. You guys sort of set the bar for the kids in the community at that time to uh, that MSS was a successful basketball school. And success, there was a school to go to. And it was, a, it, it was not only basketball, but volleyball and 
other sports too. However, a lot of girls in elementary school looked up to your team and then that carried forward. So then when the next generation for the next little while, it continued to, to be that way where we had a real stronghold on, on uh, basketball. So again, for me, it became, uh, it was easy because we were being successful, but also I was enjoying it with the support of my players and their yeah. parents and their family. As time goes on and the dynamic changes where now I'm, my wife and I are having kids and my responsibility has changed at home um, and the talent pool is not necessarily as good as it was. Um, my, it was it's, it's interesting. My dynamic as a coach didn't change, but my um, grasp on what was most important really was was tested like even or maybe molded more yeah with you guys i always wanted to sit down and and send a message hey this is what it's about this is what we're here for you know and i wanted you to understand that your family came first your academic second and basketball third yeah you're always very good season. at that mm -hmm. yeah so those those are the way things were going to go as the talent pool changed and the potential of my teams changed for success on the court um, I tried, I, I, I made sure I just maintained perspective on what was going on. These kids needed to be treated every bit as well as you guys were. And they needed to, uh, also experience just, there's lessons to be learned by losing on the court. And that's where you cope with adversity. And that's where you find these coping skills that are going to help you later on in life. And, uh, so that became, um, uh, salvation for me in the sense of that's going to be my success and it, it's going to be my purpose overall as uh, regardless of the basketball success and some a lot of referees will tell you different because as you know <laughs> i'm like a bit of a dr jekyll mr hyde when i'm coaching uh, i am intense because i protect like i like to protect my players so i i'm intense during games and so on and so forth but when the game was game's over you're focusing on making sure you're having fun and and the kids enjoy themselves and so on and so forth but uh it was even if it meant cutting a player for say academic problems or lack of responsibility i knew it was the right thing to do Be yeah so right? without if you think back in your career mm -hmm. was there ever someone who tried out or came into your life who you had to make that tough choice around that let you then later regret it because you kind of saw the path they go down and thought wow i could have had an impact with them and don't name names i'm but, not going to name yeah. names i i there probably be about three or four examples of that but i never regretted it because i knew um that there has to be if, if you're if you're doing something that's detrimental to your personal well-being or and or the team and again whether it's in the workplace or whether it's in your family or whether it's on a high school basketball team right you need to be held accountable so i had to learn that where i gave some of my players extra rope but then when it got to a specific breaking point then um, I had to had to make the hard decision to say no. You're not. 
you're not you you don't deserve to be here and you're gone and it only happened about three times you may not remember this one and not mention any names but i mean we were at offsa and there was one of our players who uh came back and it we were you know the one particular year could have gone far and she was one of our better players and she came back and i could smell cigarette smoke on her and yeah. I was like what's the heck is going on here and I found out that lo and behold she's out with her mom having a smoke like either before the game or halftime I can't quite remember so she never played again the yeah. rest of the offset and never played again for me after that year and trust me I got a hate letter oh I from, bet yeah and but I knew and, and I just threw the hate letter out when I retired, right? I kept all kinds of stuff until I retired. But I knew that that was the right decision for her. And I knew that whether or not her life path takes her to jail or, you know, into drugs and homelessness <laughs> or, or whether she becomes a uh, high, you know, a successful member of society was not going to be determined by that one move by me. Right. And if it was, well, then there were deeper problems than having a smoke uh, with your mom before a game. So as a result, it wasn't going to be on me that condoned that kind of behavior, right? And so, you know, you you raised parents, or you raised the issue of parents. And so nowadays, you've Mm -hmm. coached for how many years? 28 years I coached. I didn't coach the last two, yeah. So have you found or seen a difference in the level of parent interaction or the type of interaction that's occurring. Yeah, I, I mentioned to you when we were sitting down before this that I hadn't prepped myself at all. But I, <laughs> I, 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 one thing I did that that I'm sensitive to is is the fact that and I thought of this before because I don't want to um, put down anybody whose family dynamic has has not developed like sure. or, or has split up yeah. as parents and so on and so forth by saying that uh, that has definitely changed the students that I deal with because there's a lot of families who have split and they have tremendous students yes. and yeah. tremendous kids and they've they've maintained a really positive parental guidance along the way but I will tell you that a number of things have happened in my last number of years of, of being involved with kids at various levels as the high school teacher. And a lot of it pinpoints from family breakup. And it uh, really has, the, the, the effect on, on the kid is like, it, it, you cannot fathom how that affects them. Whether it's a it's just a confusion point or a frustration point or an inability to trust point with them. It goes on and on and on. Um, But again, I preface that with there's a lot of split families that have fantastic kids and they've, they've matured well and adjusted well. Yeah. It probably depends on how the family has handled it. Exactly. So with that being said, also in our area here, we've had a a big change in our industrial base here and our employment base. So a lot of families that were making huge money out of, you know, parents graduated high school or didn't even finish high school and were making huge money in our factories and so on, those jobs are gone. So now they're part-time workers, Walmart, Home Depot, so on and so forth. So the economic stress at home is huge. 
and uh, that's led to other issues in society, you know, where there's could be substance abuse problems, so on sure. and so forth. That these kids, again, to answer your question too, that's changed. Uh, where these guy, these students, uh, high school age kids, are dealing with a lot more in their family household, and that was reflected in the teams I coached. Of course, it I was. definitely saw that, and where they needed me as they needed that basketball as an outlet. Yeah. However, their ability to commit um, and stay focused for them, for, um, for some of them, was impossible. And I had to really look at the big picture and I had to say, hey, you know, um, this family here, they just split up or dad's lost his job here or mom's had to go to jail here shoplifting or, you know, those type. So I got to give this kid some extra space here. Sure. And I've got to see that. Yeah, they're not going to be at every practice now. And I also changed my practices to the morning because I knew after school uh, these kids had to go to work. Yeah. So a lot of them had to go to work, and uh, so we practiced in the morning. I cut had to cut back on tournament travel because of expenses, and um, so on and so forth. So yeah, it's changed. The family dynamic has definitely. There's been a change in that that's resulted in more challenges for the high school age for for any kid. Sure. It's definitely changed. And uh, they, those challenges have taken precedent over things like their schoolwork um, and their ability to participate in club sports. So do you find, like, do as many students still want to be on a team or not as many people want to participate in sports anymore? Um there, the, the, there's been a huge decline in participation in sports. Yeah. Which I think is so sad. Yeah. Like, I remember when I, I also went to teacher's mm -hmm. college. Shocking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that was shocking that I got into. <laughs> and uh, I remember when I went to teacher's college, they were actually thinking about eliminating phys ed from the curriculum. Mm -hmm. And that really annoyed me mm -hmm. because I thought, you know, that could be the only outlet that people get for any level of physical activity. Exactly. And then we're going to have all these health problems. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's also super important and I'm basing this on my own experience and the wonderful experiences that I had and exposure to great people like yourself mm -hmm. participating in sports mm -hmm. yeah. and how much I learned being on yeah. a team. And it wasn't just that I was on a team. I also did have jobs as well. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's learning to juggle all of that, mm -hmm. which then later when I get out into the real world, I'm more capable of managing those things. Absolutely. Yeah. hundred percent. And I think. What's I'll give you a, just a microcosm of, of of a stat for sports in our area. My experience, we used to run, as you know, a spring league basketball. So in that spring league basketball, on Tuesday nights, we would have uh, eighteen uh, girls teams. So we had three time slots with six teams each from grades six to. 13 and uh so that's 18 with say eight players on a team so about 150 players girls the boys had the same so that's 300 going every week and those kids were from our community here obviously or you know uh the outskirts so uh that spring league now doesn't exist because there's no kids that are signing up for it oh really yeah it's folded and we tried and tried we even ran it as a co-ed and we ran it uh as a co-ed once a week for a little while with 
some years four teams, some years six. And to think that we used to have 36 teams. So uh, what do you think has happened? Well, there's definitely an expense factor of some sort. There were other sports that boomed. For example, ball hockey. Ball hockey boomed. Okay, but ball hockey was relatively inexpensive to a lot of other sports. Not saying that Spring League, Spring League was super cheap. A lot of th things come into play here. You can ask anybody involved in minor hockey too, minor baseball, and it's, it's all faded. But I think a number of things happened. There was a period of time where um, a lot of students would spread themselves into um, clubs or sports to the point where they were given 40-45% to certain areas of their life rather than having a focus of three areas of their life, say their family, their, their personal well-being, and the sport, 100%. So it became more of a rec sort of scene, like a recreational type of scene. And that drew some momentum out of the more um, upper echelon sports teams where, you know, you had, to, you had to make the cut, you had to, you know, produce all the time. So I think that reduced some participation. I think some economics reduced some participation. And it sounds like an old guy statement, but definitely the digital world has reduced. It, it, it sounds like an old guy statement, but it's so, it's that instant satisfaction and the ability to, um, you know, entertain your mind. But make no mistake about it, like we sat in a grade nine boys um, assembly one day and the police were in with um, some other people talking about predators online. Yeah. And they said, how many of you guys game? And I, I swear the whole room's hands went up. If not, maybe three or four were down out of say a hundred or so. How many of you guys game at night after midnight? There had to be three quarters. How many of you have been approached by a predator online for money or, you know, to take your clothes up, blah, blah, stuff like that? Over half. What? Yeah. So to sit there and see that for me in my, you know, 50s and these 13, 14 year old kids <clears throat> are not only having that time consumption of being online and, and yeah. so on and committed to it, but also have the um, fortitude to put their hand up in a public forum and say, this is, yeah, I've, I've been approached, right? <coughs> it, it was mind boggling to me. Wow. That's and the police crazy. talking to them afterwards, like, oh yeah, that's standard. Yeah. So anyways, what's happened, I think is a lot of students or kids at this age with going back to the athletics and participation, it's come down to there's a lot more opportunities to do different things. Yeah. Whether it's digital, whether it's, um, you know, uh, fringe sports like, say, ultimate frisbee, soccer that are a little bit cheaper and so on and so forth. That's sort of taken away that, you know, basis for the, the more traditional sports that were really competitive. And it's not just unique to our area. I talked to other coaches, referees and around the board and so on. And it's, it's, it's a, a pretty big trend. Yeah. And there's also a wow factor that's missing a bit where, you know, when you and I were coached and so on, you kind of looked at this coach and you, you listened to them. Yeah. And you, you may not have always agreed with them, but you, <laughs> you, you definitely didn't question the fact that you were going to do what they wanted you to do. I always agreed with you. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But Ask you, some of my other coaches. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you always made peace with the fact that it's my job to do what they're telling me to do. Because there was a wow factor there with them. There was a respect. Yes. It's hard to grasp that with kids today because they can get their wow factor or their information instantaneously f from their phone. They, they can get that. Do you know what I mean? I don't know if I'm wording it correctly, it's, it's but true. it's hard because and it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's hard for them to really take what you're saying as the gospel and they shouldn't always, yeah. right? You need to, again, think critically and, and be tolerant, but uh, it's it's sometimes hard for them when they know, hey man, I can I can call up uh, anything I want on my phone right now to find out what the heck's going on. So, and then I, then I can judge. I don't have to listen to you necessarily. Right? But do you think that it's it's that these students are getting this information from their phones or they're getting it from their parents? Because I have a lot of friends who coach, mm -hmm. and their biggest complaint is the parents yeah. because they feel like. They're not able to truly coach because mm -hmm. they spend more time managing parents. And parents are much more demanding about how much time their kid is playing or whether they're playing. Mm -hmm. And parents feel they know more about the coach, more than the coach does. Mm -hmm. And it kind of, in some way, breeds a little bit of a lack of respect. Like, mm -hmm. I remember when we were younger, like, you mm -hmm. coach my sister as well. Yeah. So if we were sitting at the dinner table and talking about our coaches yeah. or other players in the team. I remember my mom would always say, girls, am I feeding you meow mix for dinner tonight? <laughs> Stop what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's inappropriate. And we would be told like, yeah. you don't talk like that yeah. and you have respect yeah. for coaches or teachers or whatever. Yeah. And the, the parents would back the coach or the teacher yeah. up. Whereas I find nowadays the parents are more like my kid first. Mm -hmm. I don't care what you say. Mm -hmm. This is my kid and I'm going to mm -hmm. do whatever it takes to make sure they're successful. Yeah. And see, then we'll go kind of while you're talking. I just think back to what we we're getting to the hardest success with before was everybody has a role. Everybody has a talent and somebody does not have necessarily as much talent as the other person, but in a business or in a church group or on a basketball team, everybody can have a viable role. Now, when you have uh, somebody who's not meeting success at um, the expectations of someone else, say their parents, yeah. then what happens is the parents become enablers. And what they do is they compensate for the limitations of, say, their child, right? Well, how do they do that? They do it by putting pressure on the coach and, you know, bullying and uh, and being catty or doing a movement to remove a coach or just have that coach do what they want for their kid, even though their kid may not warrant that, right? But that's a, that's what it is. It's enabling. And uh, now, now it goes back to where when you compensate for someone's limitations, now they don't have to deal with adversity. Now they don't know how to cope with yeah. adversity and they don't have those skills. So what do they do? They get pissed off. They get frustrated. It could be, you know, this rolls right through into adult life. Well, my hydro bill, screw it. I'm not paying it. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, you're going to pay it down the road, right? Hydro's getting shut off. Or, uh, you know, um, my son stayed out late the other night. 
uh, oh, well, I'll give them a one-off, right? I'm just, I'm not dealing with this adversity right now. I'm, I'm just not going to cope with that right now. And then the kid feels neglected and the kid runs into trouble down the road. Like it goes on and on and on and on. So yeah, those definitely there's an aura of that, particularly, uh, you know, pick on the hockey world, but it's traditional <laughs> in hockey that that's been going on. Yeah. And uh, I think a coach just has to set a standard and has to stick to their guns, but you got to have the perfect storm, right? You got to have the yeah. right coach that's going to do that with the right mentality too. Yeah. Well, because I think, I think it is hard because, you know, one of the things that you mentioned was getting a coach ousted. Mm -hmm. And if the parent or group of parents has enough power, mm -hmm. they can do it. They do it. You know, yeah. and then they're going to bring in someone yeah. who's going to meet their demands yeah. or do what they want them mm -hmm. to. And it's not necessarily for the greater good of the mm -hmm. team or the mm -hmm. greater good of the community. Mm -hmm. No, it's not. And and the end, the kid in the long run suffers, right? Because they've had somebody now cover them and they haven't had to have that experience. You go back to your own about Mac. Um, you, you had the fortitude to go into the coach's room and say, no, this is what I want. And that you know, that just moment did so much for you. And then it carries forward that not to mention you had success with it afterwards. Well, yeah, you could have even, said you're out of here. Goodbye. Yeah, yeah. But you would have been at peace with yourself. Yeah. But, um, these guys haven't had to do that yet, but the days come in where you have to do it. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's interesting because I think back to that moment so many times in my yeah. life and how my life would have been so different. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And even that year, it, you know, I end up being rookie of the year, voted mm -hmm. by my teammates. Yeah. Years later, I'm an all Ontario all star. Yeah. And, you know, those are things that I connect with and I resonate as because I'm an athlete. Exactly. And for my entire life, I'll be an athlete. Yeah. You know, and even later going on to pro play some pro beach volleyball, mm -hmm. it's moments like that you'd think back at. Mm -hmm. Like, imagine if I hadn't have done that. Mm -hmm. Would I be here today? Exactly. And, and, you know, my parents were great in the sense that if we had a problem, we had to deal with it ourselves. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like my mom calling you up and no. saying, Coach Fur, yeah. why aren't you playing my daughter? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I would be the one that would have to mm -hmm. say something. Or my mom would say, well, you know what? Maybe your coach is making the right decision. Mm -hmm. Maybe you should sit on the bench, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Maybe you shouldn't be the one out there. Yeah. And, you know, it brings a about that bigger issue of even in the school system, certain mm -hmm. things have changed. Like yeah. all kids getting a medal for participating, yeah. you know, yeah. not being able to lose at a young age yeah. to feel included. Yeah. Like, is that really beneficial to them? There's, um, you know, we don't have time in this interview I to know. talk about <laughs> the school uh, system and my views, but I'll give you a few. Little... <laughs> we can do another one about that. Yeah. <laughs> in your lifespan, what is one thing that's been most memorable? Yeah. You can think about it, or you can. No, save I it. got it. I got it. I'll get it. Um, in uh... on November fifteenth. <laughs> 1985, a uh, good friend of mine was uh, shot and killed. And he was, uh, his name was uh, Jeff Breeden. And uh, so Jeff and I, we were really good friends in high school. He went to PSS, I went to MSS, but we were really good friends. We uh, were in sports together and so on and so forth. So he, he went on to Laurentian University and played uh, volleyball there. And... Uh, very successful and then he went out to Dalhousie and uh, he finished off his volleyball career there and um, Teachers College and he 
he got engaged at that time to a girl on the East Coast and ended up going to uh, teach on a native reserve uh, west and uh, Saskatchewan. So anyway, in, in his, we were a lot alike and, and in typical Jeff fashion, he took over the reserve sports wise and started programs there and he was super popular with the kids so on and so forth. And um, one night, um, three of the residents of the school, they, kids, young offenders, they um, were gunned up on booze and stuff like that. And they tore off into this sort of, there was a little cul-de-sac where there was a teacher's compound and um, they tore through it in their uh, in the car they had stolen and they dinged Jeff's roommate's truck and Jeff and his roommate were sitting eating supper looking out the window and um, so they went outside to see what was going on and the car had stopped down under a street light down the road so they started running down there to see what was happening and then the kids put a gun up on the roof of the car and shot them and killed Jeff and um, Wow yeah. Yeah, so that was sort of like, um, you got to remember that's the year I didn't do anything. Like I shouldn't say I didn't do anything, but 85 to 86 was where I didn't get into teacher's college. And, you know, it's kind of, you know, not a loss sort of, I, I, I didn't have my sort of pathway blazed yet. And then that went down and I went, wow, man, this is a lesson on fragility here yeah. of what's what can happen. And it was a real sort of um, adult awareness moment for me. And uh, so that's one thing that, um, you know, really triggered. I kept it with me, like, uh, for uh, forever, still do today. Of course. And um, so I, uh, I kept um, in touch with his parents. I still do. And uh, they're out in BC. They moved out there. And... Uh, and I just care, try and carry his memory and trying to, uh, you know, remember that I'm lucky that, you know, I, I've been able to do what I've done because not everybody is. Yeah, that's right. And if you are able to do what you, you want to do and you gotta, you've got to be respectful of it and you've got to uh, feel privileged. And if you carry that with you, then that sort of keeps you a little more motivated and so on. People deal with different things, right? Illnesses and, and other deaths, obviously, along the way. But that one there. No, and it was, you talk about peculiarity or of events and so on. When I did a specialist uh, in history at York University one summer, uh, I struck up a friendship with a guy and we were just randomly talking. And he was from the Sioux. And... Uh, we're just shooting the breeze, having a beer one time after class, and and uh, long story short, turns out he was the teacher that replaced Jeff on the uh, reserves. Wasn't that bizarre? No. So way. he even went. He felt a, a need to go to the court proceedings and so on and so forth, and he he walked me through that whole thing with wow. the three kids. Yeah. But there's a reason why you met him when you did. I think so. Yeah. You, know, you got it. Sure. Why not? Right? And you know the other thing that is interesting is so your friend is teaching doing all these great things giving mm -hmm. back to a community that mm -hmm. needs it and then this is something that happens to him mm -hmm. in this mm -hmm. situation mm -hmm. and he's teaching and then you still make the decision to teach mm -hmm. oh yeah 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 
Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah, that was, yeah, that's a good point. No, there was never, there was that, that's, yeah, I've never thought of it that way, but there was, that never entered my mind. I think I almost felt more passion to teach. Yeah, yeah. maybe to try to help yeah, solve. because I thought, whatever it is you're going to do, right? You're going to put in lawn sprinklers or, you know, <laughs> you know all, the, all the variety of professions and things that you want to do. If you're going to be a mechanic, whatever, if you're going to do what you're doing, um, and you get an opportunity to do it, then um, you don't let anything stand in your way. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So speaking of that, one more last question. Yeah. Because I want to be conscious of your time. Yeah. Because uh, you're so busy because you're retired. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which we all wish to yeah. be one day. Um, if you were to think of anyone in your in life who, and they were deemed successful, who would that person be and why? Mm. Well, I guess, like, I've met some Holocaust survivors. So, I think if you look at the resilience and the ability to um, do all those things that, you know, you know, I've been talking about the ability to cope with adversity and find, you know, um, success in the end and uh, be a be service above self, you know, these guys that, uh, I met, um, and, and when I say met, like it was obviously through my teaching of history and so on, but, uh, I would go down to the Holocaust center in uh, Toronto and bring my students and listen to some of these guys talk, or I read some of their books or, uh, or they've come up to the school and talk been guest speakers, then they would probably be the ones that kept you like they're they're the whole package right because they've had uh something that is just catastrophic happen to them and then they've had they've been able to cope with it uh in some way shape or form and then they've been able to use it as a positive for others like i mean come on uh-huh. You know. No, I like that answer. That's yeah. good. Because yeah. it's true. The, yeah. Someone who has lived through that, yeah. the amount that they have to yeah. go through yeah. to get past I've, it. Yeah. And, and it puts sort of, and, and it grounds you, right? It puts yeah. things in perspective. Um, you know, we sit here and, you know, deal with first world problems all the time. That's right. And we think it's, we get frustrated. We take it out on each other or we take it out on ourselves and we get pissed off at the world. And, and, uh, and you've got to think that's a first world problem like settle down and yeah. uh there's other things there's other things bigger it, when you teach or when you're involved in different aspects of society or, or just by fluke just by your life path you meet a lot of different people like i mean uh you know i've, had, I've been lucky meeting people like yourself uh meeting just some of the at-risk kids that i've had to deal with and they've touched me um in different ways too so, John, thank you so much. Yeah, right on. I've no, enjoyed was, chatting with you. You know what? It was really cool. This is part of my thrill of having being a teacher is uh, staying connected with uh, you and um, as friends now rather than coaching teachers and stuff and um, seeing you as an adult and what you're doing and for, for the better of others. And, um, again, the whole service above self thing and, and just looking at trying to make the world a better place. That's yeah. what it's all about. We're only here for a little while. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. And uh, we can do this again some other time. Maybe we'll talk about the whole teaching thing. Yeah. Guaranteed. <laughs>
Thank you to everyone for listening. I would love to know what you think. I uh, would love to hear your suggestions and your feedback. So feel free to send me a note, uh, jlewis at janetlewis.com. Um, and I'd love to do more of these. It was fun, uh, but it just depends on if there's any interest. Thanks again.